And therefore, as we do so, we do want to ask that you may be pleased at this moment to bless uh, this word to our hearts that we will consider together. And also grant, therefore, even the grace to live according to your word. But now, Father, grant the grace for the preaching of your word, grant the grace for the listening to your preached word. And grant the grace, O God, for the assimilation of the same. And grant, O God, that indeed our strength will be in you and in you alone. Do this for us, and now, Father, condescend and come and glorify yourself in our midst, because we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'd like to ask that we tend to read the passage that we read in the morning, and then after that we'll go to consider the text that will be before us. Matthew and uh, chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 13 to verse 23. The Bible reads as follows from the English Standard Version. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And while walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. I would like to draw your attention this afternoon to verse 20. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. One of the interesting things about the gospel of Matthew is that it dwells very much on what true discipleship is. And that's why early on you actually come and see, in talking about true discipleship, that the Lord preaches a sermon uh, on this, uh, which has been called the Sermon on the Mount. And in it, when you look at it critically, it's all about what true Christian life is and what a true converted person ought to be and the meaning of uh, the Christian life, bring out these uh, uh, things that are integral to the Christian life, the, our actual ethics as, as Christians. 
and then he dwells and shows the missionary endeavors of uh, our Savior. And he ends on a note of uh, the presence of God being with us all the time. And he says, Lo, I'm with you always. And in doing so, he wants the Christians to know that one of our greatest privileges as Christians is that we do not live the Christian life in our own strength. And also, we do not live the Christian life without the help of God himself. That God is the one who enables us to be Christians, is the one who enables us to, to live the Christian life. And in the morning, when we looked at verse 18 and verse 19, the things that we saw of particular importance was the fact of what God himself does. That God is the one who initiates the Christian life, and he showed this, and we saw this when, he saw, when we saw that Jesus Christ saw the two brothers, uh, Simon, who is called Peter, and, and Andrew. And we saw that from there it shows that God initiates that Christian life in us, initiates that spiritual life in us. But also, God therefore sustains the Christian life. I will make you fishers of men. We did see that indeed this was reflective of the commitment of Jesus Christ towards us who are believers, that he is committed to us and he grants us grace to be what we ought to be. He grants us grace to be uh, true uh, Christians and to save him, therefore, even as uh, fishers of men. God grants us uh, these things. And therefore, we come to the fourth point, therefore, concerning the text before us. We see that he initiates. We see that he calls and says, come, follow me. And we see that he is committed to indeed uh, making us what we ought to be. To whom much is given, much will be required. So the saying goes. And really the question then is, what is your response to all, all these things? What is your response when you hear our Savior calling you to service? What is your response when you hear uh, the Savior calling you to the ministry. What would you say to him? What would you do if he was in body right now and he said to you like he said to, to Simon, later to become Peter, and to Andrew, to James, to John, to Nathaniel and the others, he spoke to them audibly and said, come follow me. If you were to do that today, if you would stand here and say to you, come follow me, would you take out your phone, find a calculator and start calculating what that means? Would you start writing a thesis about it to start speaking about his posture as he was calling you? Or would you start writing to see the things that you would leave? Would you indeed begin to reason uh, with him? What exactly do you mean 
that I should uh, follow you and you make me fishers, a fisher of men. Have I ever told you that I want to be a fisherman? Are those the kind of responses that you would give? Friends, here is an example before us in our text. An example of what a heart that has been turned around responds to God. How that heart responds uh, to God. We see uh, in here men that are sold out immediately to the Lord. We see men that would leave everything, their very source of livelihood, what they really depended on, and they drop that. We see men who would indeed now follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And the evidence of the Gospels is that they followed him, even to the extent when he said he had nowhere to lay his head, they followed him. They followed him all the way uh, to the cross, although they scattered at that time. Eh? But later on, we read in Acts, they came together and they waited in true obedience to, to their Savior. Friends, these words that we have here are words which must invoke in us sobering thoughts, which must invoke in us a sitting down and wondering what we ought to be as, as, as Christians. He has called us to service. I'm not saying we should all be called to the type of service that these men were called, but we see in there a principle. A principle of a true discipleship, of a, of a true disciple of our Lord. A principle of a life that must be lived in true obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear friends, the response so required to the call of our Savior when he comes to us and says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men has three aspects in terms of our text here. And it is three aspects that I want us to examine together. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Observe with me therefore the three aspects of the response so required. And we can see in the words of this uh, text that it was an immediate reaction. It was a reaction that heard. And they did not procrastinate. And uh, in talking about this, many Christian scholars have said that he went not to Herod's court, nor to Jerusalem, nor to among the chief priests and to the elders, but he went by the Sea of Galilee among fishermen, among fishermen. 
we saw earlier on the setting of uh, this event here. And we did take note of the natural aspect of this uh, setting. But we did see that behind the scenes, there was God, the Son, making his moves. For from that time, verse 17 says, Jesus began to preach, uh, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so he engaged himself immediately to that which he came to do, to seek and to serve uh, the lost. And he comes to, to these people uh, who were ordinary people. You remember at one time Jesus declared to the Father that uh, in Matthew 11, that I thank you, Father, that you are of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to the little children. And what he was talking about was about conversion. Because he says immediately after that, yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And the gracious will of the Father was that people would repent for the kingdom of God was at hand. And he therefore addressed them at the very point where it really mattered. And he addressed them at the place where they could hear. And so the place where they could hear, it was to their heart. And uh, this we shall insist on as we, we go on. But I must say that what he's showing here is the need for urgent priority of following Jesus Christ. It's the urgent priority of following Jesus Christ that is indeed a demanding point for every Christian. What God demands upon all of us is that we prioritize him. And this is what Jesus Christ was demanding upon these people. And this was their response. Note, friend, that they were casting a net into the sea. They were actively engaged in their vocation. The other two brothers, John and James, were repairing their net for the activity of fishing. The others were already actually fishing. They were casting their net. And it is at this point, at this very point, when uh, Jesus altered the course of their life, of their lives, changed it completely, not one bit, but completely overhauling uh, their lives. I mean, just think about it. And as you think about it, just imagine that it was you there. You are casting the net. And, and, and if you have seen uh, how they do it, it's with a, a lot of vigor. It's a, with a lot of strength. They were casting a net into the sea. They were not just throwing the net. The Bible says they were casting uh, the net. They used their mind with all the full strength of the, their thought processes. 
And also they used all the strength that they have physically to cast the net. And they must have cast it to the full extent of the width, the breadth of the, uh, the net. It is at that point, at that very point, they hear the Savior, follow me. The others are getting ready and with their father. And they are repairing the net very skillfully at it. And they are going on and on about this. And he comes to them and he saw the two brothers. And he called them. He called them. Immediately they left the board. John and James. The other, it is leaving their net cast wide and uh, fishes already being caught uh, in there. Uh, have you ever wondered what must have happened? Uh, your source of income, you, you, you leave it. Because the Bible says, indeed, they left the, the net there. They left uh, their boats there. James and John even left their father at the business they were doing together. They, they, they left. They realized the urgent priority of answering to the call of God. In Luke chapter 9, a very familiar uh, story of this man who volunteered to follow Jesus. Let's read it together because I want us to note that what Jesus Christ uh, says in Luke chapter 9, verse uh, 57, it is to 62. This man comes to Jesus and volunteers to follow Jesus. Verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back and is fit for the kingdom of God. See these three examples of these uh, volunteers, uh, so to speak. One says, I'll follow you wherever uh, you go. And Jesus said, I have nothing to give you because even I don't have the things of this world. That's what he means when he says, foxes have holes, beds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And so, he's basically saying to this volunteer, to this man, Think about what you are saying. 
if it is return of profit, earthly profit, then you have come to the wrong person. To another who said, he says to him, follow me. But he says, no, 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 wait a minute. I need to go first and bury my father. You know, I've often wondered about this fellow. Eh? What was he doing here instead of going to bury his father? I've said to myself, maybe he was lying. But, and the Lord Jesus Christ in, saying, in answering him actually takes him away from what he was saying and says to him, leave the dead to bury their own. In other words, the real business that is of a great matter in this world, it is this, proclaim the kingdom of God. The other one says, yeah, you have called me. I need to go to my home first. I need to go to my home, and there at my home, I need to go and say bye. And I think this guy was saying, ah, go on your way, me, I'm going home. I'm going home to the things where my comfort is, he was thinking, and also to my usual life. And that's why the Lord says, you're looking back to your usual life, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back and is fit for me. I want you to consider these three men to uh, Simon Peter and Andrew and to John and James. When Jesus Christ came to them and said, follow me. And as you consider this and their example, I want you to think of those moments because we all have those moments. All of us who are Christians, we, we have those moments in life when you come to a, an occasion where you clearly see that the Lord is asking of something of service to you at this particular moment. He is saying to you, on Tuesday, KBC goes out for evangelism. Do you say... You want to consider the things of the earth? You want to lie about your circumstances? You want to continue in your comfort zone? Or do you respond and say immediately, let us put this to full effect? And this is what the Lord is really saying to us. And this is the example that we have. As Christians, we must learn to put our priorities right. All the time, on a daily basis, when you wake up, it is about prioritizing your life. And don't think every time you wake up in the morning that you have been indeed sharp enough to have cause to go to bed, you're sharp enough to have cause to wake yourself up, you're sharp enough to think about your vocation, you're sharp enough to plan your day, and you go on. In the background, dear friend, there is God. And actually on your side, there is God, who is present everywhere, who knows all things, sees all things. And this is what we must learn. Make your priorities right and make your priorities uh, hit on what is important for that particular moment. And you see, therefore, friends, that what I'm saying, I'm not saying to people who are unaffected 
by, by God. People who are, haven't been touched by the Spirit of God. These things are only possible if you are truly converted. And evidence of true conversion is the fact that you can respond immediately to the demands of, uh, of, of God. As Christians, this is where actually uh, we fail it. It is the aspect of noticing where we should place emphasis in our lives. And I speak to you in as much as I speak to myself as, as well. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And the thing that interests you the most in life, that's where you spend your energies. You make every effort to uh, do things that your heart dictates uh, to you. So, dear friends, all the while I'm saying there is urgent priority of following the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Our text here says that these men, they followed uh, Jesus. And when they heard his call, when they heard his voice, they immediately, immediately, without uh, hesitation, went on to follow uh, him. And you have heard about lip service, and people talk about lip service. Do you know that they draw it from the Bible? We draw this uh, from the Bible. The lament of Isaiah, I mean the lament of God to Isaiah in Isaiah 29 was that these people draw to me with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me and their reverence for me consists of traditions wrought by men. And the Lord would actually indeed quote this letter in Matthew 15. And would basically be saying, yes, truly, Isaiah, therefore, was right. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from, from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of, of men. And the, this priority, the urgent priority of following Jesus, is a priority that goes to the very depth of the affections of our hearts. And when you offer God lip service, it's because you haven't realized this very need of uh, uh, setting your heart aright. And you're just offering lip service to, to the Lord. And indeed coming in vain to worship him and to show uh, outwardly what is not in your heart. Our situations generally would be far different in terms of the affections we feel towards God and the affections we feel towards service to him if we had set and if we set our priorities uh, right. Let me read to you the account 
uh, on Second Chronicles. You don't need to turn to it, but Second Chronicles chapter 16. This is about the, uh, part of the story of Asa. You remember Asa in Second Chronicles? Asa, the reformist, who reformed and wanted to do things uh, properly in the nation. He says this, we're not the Ethiopians and Libyans, a huge army, he says, with very many chariots and horsemen. Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. That's not important. The important thing is this. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless to him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you have wars. And Asa was basically teaching the nation that, look, the most important aspect is about being blameless towards God. And it's about a heart that is true to God all the while. And he thus says, the Lord's eyes always run to and through the earth, looking and trying to see those whose hearts are blameless before him. Those who have indeed made priority his worship. Those who have made priority the service to God as a real priority. Therefore, Jesus says in the strongest terms, come, follow me. And he wants us in the most strongest of all our strengths to follow him and to immediately do so. But these people, not only did they give the Lord a proper priority of their hearts, but they also left their source of livelihood. Immediately, they left their nets, our text says. They left their source of uh, livelihood. And this is what Jesus Christ requires of someone desiring to follow him. Remember, he says in Matthew 16, anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up uh, his cross. Follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet lose his soul? Or what will man give in exchange for his soul? They left their very uh, livelihood. And these words that I've just quoted from Matthew 16, when we think about it, and even those three examples of those men, one volunteering, the others being called, by Jesus Christ to follow me and the excuses they give, they suggest a mentality of holding on to things that we count dear in our lives. Now, uh, there is a parallel account of this in, uh, in Mark. The parallel account, Jesus Christ includes a reason why people should follow him. For he says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous sinful generation, 
Of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in his glory. But the main emphasis is, is the fact that the things that you hold on dear to in this world, you must weigh them and see whether they really give you life here on earth. Whether they can actually bring you real life. But also, whether that is what will really matter on the last day. Whether it is the number of uh, whatever you have gathered in this world, whether it is the fact of how rich you are, how educated you are, or how you used to wake up early in the morning to go into uh, your, your field to work. Or these men, how much you would cast your net and how much fish you would catch. And how articulate you, you were in, in mending your net, in ensuring that uh, your net was always of good uh, order. When Jesus calls, dear friends, he wants you to lose these things. Come, uh, follow me. He basically wants you to count worthy the aspect of living the Christian life and living it in a certain way. And he wants you to be able to count uh, the, the, the cost. And the fact that when we hold on to these things tenaciously, they will count for nothing on the last day. And, you know, to see these things, it's, it's, it's very easy. Everything about things here on earth, they're all about uh, things eroding. Everything. Our own bodies. I think, uh, if you ask my wife, she will tell you I used to be more handsome than I am now. Because I've grown wrinkles now which were not there. I think uh, when she first married me, I had no wrinkles, eh? But now there are wrinkles. These clothes I'm wearing, a few years from now, uh, I won't want to wear them because they would have jujukad. It's the same with everything that we see uh, around. Even this building, if we do nothing, it will look edged. And uh, if we stop meeting here and no one attends to it, we will call it the ruins. And so the ruins of Zimbabwe, I'm told they used to be the most beautiful thing. Those who somehow are able to reconstruct, that's what uh, they say. Everything about life here, our own human bodies, the things that we acquire, even our education papers, even those, they, they, somehow they will decay. Somehow, uh, even PhDs, there are those who now get post-doctoral uh, degrees. And so, Apart from all this, there is a chasing after the wind. 
in this world. You do this, you want to do more. You run a business, you make a profit, you want to make more profit. And what to you if it's just profit for your own sake? You see something nice, you want to go after it. With all your strength, even when it's not necessary. And even fashions, they come and they go. We were laughing at uh, boys with Pastor Chuale yesterday. They're now wearing these uh, very pompy trousers, you know, and uh, far above the shoes. They're very short. What is this? He says, no, this is fashion today. Yeah, okay, fine. You come to our age, you still be dressing like that. The young people will laugh at you and will say, what is wrong with you? So even the things in this world, friends, don't hold on to them. Don't hold on to them. Let go and let God. You've heard the saying, let go and let God. Friend, when you serve Christ as a disciple, as a true disciple, and indeed having in context the fact that you are to follow him immediately, and also properly seeing that this is what is most important, you will then be able to say, like Pastor Ted Van Rauter would say, when you serve Christ as a disciple, the urgency of his cross requires you to give up all your other comforts. We need to understand how our Lord's demands go beyond general statements to speak to us in our daily uh, choices in order to understand all this it requires a right mind dictated to by a right heart realizing that these things in this world will not go into heaven with them and therefore only push and pull in the direction of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think again. These men They left their nets still catching fish. They left their boats. They left the net which was still being prepared. And they left their father, these other two, so that they can become fishers of net, of, of men. Someone has said that they left the net of catching fish in the Sea of Galilee and took upon themselves the net of the gospel of uh, repentance and uh, life in the Lord Jesus Christ, of following hard along the Sea of Galilee those who were still in their sin. This is what they did. The reality of life is such that things that are darlings to our hearts will tell us what to do the following day. The thing that is your darling in your heart will tell you what you are going to do tomorrow. What is indeed in there will come to know. As you look at an individual's life and you can tell what interests this person the most. You begin to tell even uh, the things that they talk about. It's about the things they love the most. If it's about soccer, 
You even see the passion. As if they were sitting in Wembley Stadium, actually very close to the touchline. They will talk as if they were uh, the 23rd player in the field. And speak with such zeal. And if it is a young man wanting to climb the corporate ladder, you will notice he will speak and you have such knowledge that you wonder what time he has for other things if he knows nearly everything in this world. There are very few Christians who exhibit the true knowledge of the holy, the knowledge of the scriptures, to the extent that, you know, when you quote a text, he tells you, I know where that is coming from, and he gives you the full context. I've only met a few who are like that. Dear friends, a true disciple, because he leaves everything, he then replaces everything with everything from the Lord Jesus Christ. And the most important aspect of the replacement that takes place is to replace everything with the Holy Read, with the Bible. Replace everything and start feeding your mind on the Bible and start wanting to know God himself. Start wanting to know his ways. You can leave everything and not know his ways. I don't want to dwell on the full meaning of living everything and for you to ask what should we do it's just for you to think and see the clear principle that is taught here but well friends they set their priorities immediately they left all to follow Jesus Christ they left all to follow Jesus Christ immediately they left their nets and followed him Dear friends, let us see what this means. It's, it's very simple. It means that their lives were not aimless after that. When they left everything, their lives were not aimless after that. They followed Jesus Christ. And they literally followed, for these uh, men, they literally followed Jesus Christ. You read the whole square of their lives after this. The Gospels, you find them with Jesus Christ all the time. You read even in the book of Acts, after the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, they were sitting and still waiting for the promised uh, Holy Spirit. They left their nets and followed uh, Jesus Christ. Someone has said the following about this. He says they, were, they, they left behind fishing nets. There was a boat that they left behind. There were family members that they left behind. There was a business left behind. There was money left behind. There were sins left behind. There were sinful partners and even other partners left behind. There were egos and selfishness, self-centeredness left behind. There were careers that they left behind only to do one thing, to follow Jesus Christ. For them, what remained crucial was to see where Jesus Christ would take them. 
to see what Jesus Christ would want them to be. And he told them what he wanted them to be. It was that he would make them fishers of men. We saw in the morning what uh, this uh, really uh, meant. But I just want to emphasize now the fact that indeed this following him was an understanding of what their new life entailed. The new creation that Jesus Christ uh, wrote in them was now very clear to them. And that's why the Apostle Paul would say, consider your calling brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing, things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you were in Christ. And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom for God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And that's why he says, so it is written, let the one who boasts only boast in the Lord. In other words, he turns you around and you can therefore be able to know what he requires of you, to be a fisher of men. That is why the Lord would say, no one who doesn't take his cross and follow me is worthy of me. Friends, you who purport to follow the Lord, make it possible that it's no longer anyone using the word purport to you, but rather that it is a reality in your life that you have understood who God is. You have understood who Jesus Christ is and that indeed he is the one who took your, pray, your place on the cross that you might become the righteousness of God. That you can understand that God the Holy Spirit indeed applies this work in your heart. That indeed you know for a fact that he has given you all you require for life and godliness. That indeed you actually understand that you are here for a purpose. That you are in this world to fulfill all the purposes of God in your life. The following of Jesus that these people did was a following that actually was an addition to the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because, you know, later on in the Sermon on the Mount, remember I would say, you are the salt of the earth in Matthew 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under uh, people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. No, people, no, do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, 
In the same way, let your light so shine. In the same way, therefore, follow me, and therefore show that indeed you are the salt of the earth. Follow me, and indeed show that you are the light of uh, the world. And when you consider the beatitudes that the Lord preached on the same one, on the mount, these beatitudes actually are an indication of your ethical attitude generally in life. And if you want to understand the meaning and the extent and the, actually the example that results from following uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, if you want to know, read immediately in chapter 5 the Beatitudes that describe the ethical standards which we are called as Christians. And blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. People who have such an attitude, these are indeed the ones who are truly uh, Christians. Blessed are the peacemakers who would say much later on, for they shall be called sons of God. So those who are called sons of, of God, those who inherit the kingdom of heaven, are the ones that he describes actually here. And they are the ones who therefore have left their nets and followed the, the Lord. I must close. But I pray that all of us are persuaded. That I'm persuaded, that you are persuaded, that we need to do better as Christians. We need to do better. I've always said that if just a few in this church actually mean to live a true Christian life, true Christian lives, things will turn around. But if all of us, all of us, uh, dear friends, follow the Lord in this manner, imagine what is going to be seen. Imagine what we are going to be towards one another. And imagine what we are going to be towards the world. And this that Jesus Christ came to do, to call people to repentance, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Friend, the great lesson of uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, 19, and 20 is basically this, that successful work for Jesus Christ is initiated by God himself, initiated by Jesus Christ uh, himself, and springs out of a heart that is fully devoted to him. You remember the Hezekiah when he was told to put his life in order for his life was required of him? You remember his prayer, what he prayed? Listen to these words. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. He didn't weep because his life was being called for. He wept because he was still wanting to see righteousness in the people that he was leading. But the fact that somebody can say with a clear conscience how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion 
and have done what is good in your eyes. Faithfully, wholehearted devotion done good what is in your eyes. The fact that a human being, flesh and blood like me, can say these things means it's possible for me. It's possible for me. And therefore, I must deny self. I must leave things that indeed entangle me from indeed progressing well and from being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Oh, friends, we have Peter here, Andrew. We have James and John here providing us this excellent example of how to hold on to things most precious to us and how to leave those things that are not precious to us. Let us, therefore, use this as an example for us to follow. Let us be the James, the Andrew, the John and James of today and follow the Lord and be like Hezekiah, faithful, wholehearted devotion, always doing right. Friends, this is what we have been called to. When he says, follow me, I will make you fishers of men, this is where it stems from. It stems from a heart and from indeed an attitude of immediately leaving everything which is dear and also of immediately following the Lord. May God bless these words to your hearts. Amen. Thank the